Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Room and Room Podcasts. Great to have you join us. Well, look, this is one of several episodes that we've released so far during 2022, and we've been running over a whole range of different topics that unashamedly cover stuff very much at what I guess we'd call a gumboot level. So that means it's just a hopefully a nice working practical level in comparison to some of the more academic kind of approaches to these number of nutrition topics. So based on our gumboot level, we hope that you're enjoying these podcasts so far and that you're finding them easy to understand. And again, if you're new to these podcasts, these episodes are actually an offshoot from the Facebook group, The Room and Room. Now, if you're not already a member of that group, how about you head over and join up that group and learn a little bit more about ruminant nutrition, if that's your thing. So anyway, first things first, introducing myself, my name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a New Zealand-based veterinarian and nutritionist. And again, unashamedly, I love all the stuff to do with ruminant nutrition and animal health. So hopefully you'll be similarly um, wanting to tune in and, um, and join the discussion. Now, in this episode of the Room and Room podcasts, we're going to be discussing quite a specific topic, a challenge that comes around every calving time and often affects your heifers and sometimes your older cows. And that condition is called udder edema. So udder edema, sometimes if you're tuning in outside of New Zealand, you might call it udder caking uh, or caked udder. I can't get my head around that cake one. I have visions of a, of a cake for a birthday party, but yeah. Seriously, utter edema uh, is a term that we do commonly use here in New Zealand, so we'll call it that condition uh, for the rest of this podcast. We'll step through this condition firstly, kicking off discussions about just what is utter edema and why do cows, and particularly our maiden rising two-year-old heifers, sometimes experience this problem before and sometimes um, you know, during those first few days after calving as well. So once we've defined that, then we'll move on to some of the risk factors uh, for utter edema and what things contribute to the risks that your cows or heifers will get utter edema. And we'll talk about um, these under two broad headings. Firstly, the uh, non-nutritional uh, risk factors for utter edema. And then because we are a nutrition podcast, then we'll move on to the nutritional factors that can increase uh, utter edema uh, in your heifers and cows. And then finally, we'll wrap things up with some ideas of uh, what you can do to reduce the risk of your cows developing utter edema pre-calving. And uh, we'll leave the treatment aside because that's very much going to be a conversation that you have with your own vet who knows you and your cows as to how to manage cows that have already got utter edema. We'll wrap up at the end about how to prevent it uh, as opposed to treating. Right, let's get this utter edema conversation underway. I hope that if you're sitting at home, you've got a coffee in your hand or maybe a beer. Uh, if you're sitting with your feet up, otherwise, <laughs> hope that you're good at multitasking, listening in while you're uh, driving to town or you're feeding out or uh, setting up fences or whatever else you've got on the go while listening in. Good, good thing that's multitasking, isn't it? First up, as we said, first, what is utter edema? I've said that word a few times now, and I, and I hope that um, you know what we're talking about. But look, um, if not, I guess we need to define just what utter edema is, particularly if you're not currently involved in the dairy industry. You know, you may be more on the sheep and beef side of things, or perhaps deer, uh, or maybe you're in the dairy industry, but you're relatively new um, to the dairy farm that you're based on, and, and you've heard about utter edema. Uh, we'll cover off just what it is. So look... 
As the name suggests, udder edema affects the udder and the surrounding tissues uh, of your cows. And it simply means the build-up of too much fluid within the udder tissue itself. And in more severe cases, sometimes that fluid build-up um, can actually extend beyond the udder itself. So it might affect the, um, the the swelling, might go down further from the udder towards the head of the cow, so under the belly of the cow and moving forward. And in bad cases, it can even go further than that, like um, sometimes down the back of the thighs of the legs of the cows, and, and in real bad cases, up as high as even up to the vulva. So this edema is a heap more swelling than what we'd normally expect for a springing dairy cow before calving. Uh, and you can sort of look at one cow and wonder how swollen she is, maybe compared to some of her herd mates that are just doing the normal springing without the extra swelling. The swelling is somewhat symmetrical. And what I mean by that is it's kind of similar on both sides of the cow, as opposed to some localised swelling, you know, maybe from an infection or an abscess or something that's very localised. That said, although it's kind of symmetrical, sometimes it'll be a bit lopsided. So uh, the back of the udder and, and um, up the legs might be swollen on both sides, but sometimes it's a little bit worse than the other. But generally, it's more symmetrical than, than just a localised uh, injury or abscess or a hard quarter for a mastitis case. If it's more localised swelling, like just in one small area or, or one quarter of the udder, well, definitely you're, you're going to check for mastitis. Uh, and if it's not mastitis, you definitely get your vet involved. So you're going to spot this maybe out in the springer paddock or perhaps you're running them through the shed to teat spray or for them to get some uh, grain or molasses from the shed feeding system and you're looking at this edema or what you think is edema. So the way that we can be more sure um, that it's utter edema is to really gently touch the swollen area. Obviously talking, talking to the old heifer, she's probably a bit jumpy anyway. Just be very gentle and just lay your, your hand, um, backs your fingers on the swelling. And if it's not hot, uh, as you get with mastitis, it can be really hot to the touch. If it's just at body temperature normal, that's probably more likely uh, that that, that um, bilateral or, or symmetrical swelling is edema. And as well as that, not only should utter edema not feel hot, um, the next thing we do to see if it is edema is to very gently, again, gently, um, just pushing a finger or your thumb gently into that swelling. And if, when you remove your hand, where you've pressed leaves a dent or an impression that doesn't bounce back out again, yeah, it's more likely to be utter edema. But like we say, if, if in doubt you're not sure what it is, and particularly if the cow is also unwell, do urgently get your vet involved to help with assisting with your diagnosis. Mastitis doesn't cause utter edema. Uh, so just because you get uh, utter edema doesn't necessarily mean you have mastitis. But the other way around is true that if you do get utter edema, there's a greater risk of a cow or a heifer getting mastitis. And that's mainly because um, when you cup those cows, they're pretty uncomfortable with the utter edema, that we'll talk a little bit more about shortly, and they're less likely to let down uh, their milk. Uh, when you milk them, and even if they do let down, they're less likely to milk out fully. And so leaving that bit of milk behind in, the, in that quarter, or, that, or the whole, all four quarters, will increase risk of mastitis. But aside from that, there's no direct link uh, between mastitis causing utter edema. Other way around, mastitis can arise because of utter edema. 
So with most of our cases of utter edema, they're seen in the days or sometimes even up to a couple of weeks before that cow or heifer calves. And the swelling typically starts to resolve once she's calved and she's walking to the shed every day and milking. Uh, Occasionally we can get cases of what we call chronic utter edema that does stick around for quite a lot longer and worst case even throughout the whole lactation. But yeah, most of them are what we call acute utter edema that comes on before calving and resolves within those few days after calving. Now we don't want cows to get utter edema for a whole heap of reasons. First up, it's really, really uncomfortable for that cow or the heifer um, calving for the first time because it makes her rather sore and uncomfortable. And with all of the increasing emphasis on animal welfare and well-being, uh, uh, both here in New Zealand and overseas, obviously we never want our cows to be uncomfortable uh, in any way, and especially with this amount of swelling around the udder when she's also got other things going on and um, due to calve and all those things. And there's certainly been studies on uh, how cows respond to udder edema, and from a behavioural point of view, they can behave a lot like they've got mastitis, and that uh, cows with severe udder edema have reduced lying times if they don't lie down as much as they should, and some of those other measures of cow well-being. So uh, some people will say udder edema doesn't hurt them. Well, there are studies that show that they are more affected uh, as cases of mastitis. And, uh, and that can work against cow well-being. So, yeah, I guess the poor old girls are pretty uncomfortable because those tissues are getting very stretched and must feel pretty awful for them. Now, this translates obviously through to trouble for both the cow, uh, but also you, it cups on because it's tough on, on both you uh, in terms of risk of getting kicked and on the cow when you want to be able to milk her out to relieve some of the pressure um, on the udder, the combination of a full udder at calving and the surrounding um, udder edema with the swelling, with, with accumulation of, of colostrum or milk in the udder. And she really doesn't want to get cupped, so she'll shuffle around, uh, sometimes kick the cups off, maybe kick you too. And as well as that, effect, swelling is quite extensive and, and it's a heifer uh, with tiny teats and, and maybe they're sticking out uh, because of all the additional you know, swelling. They're not, the, the cups don't sit on right either, so it's harder to keep the cups on. So it's uncomfortable for the heifer, uh, potentially a health risk for you if you're going to get kicked. And, uh, and if we can't milk that cow out, she's at greater risk of mastitis. So the longer term effects of, of particularly the really severe cases of utter edema even after that swelling's gone down, so we're getting further on into lactation, is that left unresolved, a lot of that stretching and swelling can actually damage um, the supporting structures like the medial ligament that keeps the udder well and truly attached correctly um, to the underside of that cow. So look, um, if you have got severely affected cows, it's probably worth talking to your vet and we'll talk more about treatment, uh, not the specific treatment options, but the importance of getting treatment into these cows, both from a well-being point of view, but to try and manage that swelling um, or there may be a greater risk of like uh, when that heifer's um, an older cow, she may be at greater risk of uh, whatever you term your part of the world, a broken or dropped udder when that suspensory ligament collapses and, and drops the udder. So yeah, as well as that, uh, again, severe cases long term, you can have all that free fluid um, in between the secretory cells and the udder damaging the secretory cells. So uh, for a badly affected heifer, she may be at risk uh, or increased risk of reduced lifetime milk production. So clearly that's not ideal either. So in terms of udder edema, it's 
what we classify as a non-infectious disease. So it's not like one heifer with other edema is going to infect the heifer next to her with other edema because we actually um, shove the other edema term under the broader heading of metabolic diseases. So again, to reiterate, if it's not mastitis and it is genuinely utter edema, it's not infectious, not catchable, if you'd like, um, and it doesn't occur secondary to mastitis. But as we said, mastitis can occur once a heifer has got utter edema. So look, from a physiological, all the, all the nuts and bolts inside the cow, why does this utter edema occur in a round calving? Well, actually, there's a whole heap of different opinions. It's not fully understood why uh, cows, and particularly heifers, do get utter edema. So it's hard to come up with prevention strategies when we don't fully understand what's happening. And to be honest, there's a heap of um, probably multiple things kind of all lining up to uh, to take that cow out with regard to her risk of utter edema. So we are very much a ruminant nutrition podcast, so I guess we're going to focus more on the nutritional risk factors for utter edema, but we first have to acknowledge that there are quite a number of non-nutritional risk factors for utter edema, so we'll track through those first and then we'll circle around and come back to the nutritional aspects of it. So in terms of risk factors, first up, uh, and internationally and particularly here in New Zealand, most cases of utter edema that we see uh, are in our rising two-year-old in-calf heifers that are calving down for the first time. So some, some of you will call them maiden heifers. And the reason that we see utter edema most often in these in-calf heifers is because she's not calved down before or produced milk before either. So in simplistic terms, I guess her internal plumbing both with regard to blood supply and also her drainage system of the tissues within the udder and either side or above or below the udder, the, that plumbing's still quite immature because she hasn't actually gone through a lactation yet. Essentially what happens before calving, we get a whole heap of different changes occurring, getting that heifer ready to calve down, so the, the um, unborn calf is maturing, and and getting ready to support the production of colostrum, the supply of blood that flows to the udder in all cows, including these heifers, really starts to ramp up quickly, particularly in those last couple of weeks pre-calving, to deliver a heap of nutrients to the udder. So that's carrying in protein, it's carrying in uh, sugars so that lactose can be manufactured, manufactured, and the protein particularly for making all of the immunoglobulins in the udder. So the, in response to the pre-calving hormone changes, that blood supply really, really ramps up and bores into the udder and the surrounding tissues. The risk that we have with heifers is that because all that blood, of course, is needed to circulate through the udder and, and then take the nutrients out, so the udder strips nutrients from that blood, and then it gets sent away again back to the heart. Uh, so that's just circulation 101 kind of stuff. Now, this is where the problem starts in our heifers, is that she's still maturing in her own right, and she's not yet a fully grown-up cow, and she therefore does not yet have a good supply of decent, what we call lymphatic drainage, that's just the plumbing to take surplus fluid in the tissues away and drop it back into the blood. And as well as that, when we think about the infamous milk veins. So um, those of you that spend a lot of time cupping cows, you'll know those big um, milk veins that run either side of the underside of the belly of, of our milking cows. Now, when you think about a heifer, yeah, she's definitely got milk veins, but they're just not mature enough to carry all of that extra blood away back to the heart. In the big girls who are um, sending all the blood to the udder pre-calving, the blood goes in, 
nutrients are taken out and the blood leaves again through those big milk veins, like a big drain pipe, helpfully draining blood away from the udder. Look at your heifer's bellies, and they've definitely got milk veins there, but they're really small. They aren't that big, like twisty, turny, very large vessels that you see on your older cows. So those milk veins in your heifers simply can't carry that volume of blood away quickly enough back to the heart. So the blood kind of gets a bit log jammed, if you'd like. it. it um, we get increased pressure in the tiny capillaries that run through the udder tissue. And as well as that, those capillaries sometimes, as a risk factor for udder edema, get a bit leaky. So they're more likely to ooze fluid, not the red cells, they stay in the circulation, but the fluid oozes um, through reduced integrity of those capillaries going through the udder. Long story short, blood goes in, blood can't get out quickly enough. We get leakage of uh, fluid, but not the red cells, into the tissues around the udder and in the udder as well. So that's why we see predominantly udder edema occurring in heifers. The plumbing is just not up to scratch. Once she calves, her body quickly learns to carry more and more fluid away and you'll get a gradual resolution or reduction in the udder as her plumbing gets up to scratch post-calving. So heifers, yeah, they're a major risk factor versus our older cows. That said, probably all of you have seen udder edema in older cows as well. It's not impossible for them to get udder edema, but it's a lot less risky. So that's the age of the cow and the fact she's calving for the first time is a risk factor. There's a few other things we'll quickly bounce through that are non-nutrition risk factors for udder edema. And then, like we say, we'll finish up with the nutritional stuff. So genetics. Uh, yep, first up. In terms of risk of udder edema, it is what we call heritable, so that if you've got a heifer uh, in the herd and you've bred her yourself and she's um, been born on farm and come back in and she's got bad udder edema, if you go back through the records, there's a reasonably good chance that her mum also uh, was having issues with udder edema as a heifer. Not always, but a, a greater risk. And we don't know if that's actually a heritability specific to uh, udder edema as, as a factor itself, or it might just be that mum produces more milk, so she's thrown back to you a heifer that also produces more milk than average, and there is a correlation between heifers that, or cows and heifers that produce more milk are more likely to get udder edema. So we don't know whether it's just the condition itself or just the fact that um, the heifer out of a high-producing cow is more likely to get udder edema. Breed factors. Now, there's not a lot of information about if breed might uh, affect the risk of one of your heifers getting under edema. There's a tiny bit of overseas work that uh, has suggested that maybe juices might be at a little bit more of a risk of edema, but it may not be a genetic thing uh, of juices versus a Frisian or a Holstein, but it might just be that Jersey's being slightly smaller on average um, than maybe a big leggy Holstein type cow. Obviously the udder does look a whole lot severe on a smaller frame cow than on a very tall wide frame cow. So not sure on that one. There's not a lot of strong evidence to say Holsteins and Frisians are at reduced risk. Um, but some of you have probably noticed that the Jersey types maybe throw it a little bit more. It seems that the sex of the calf that's on board, uh, the unborn calf inside your heifers or cows, may influence risk of edema. A little bit of suggestion that maybe those that carry a bull calf might be at slightly greater risk um, than if your heifer or cow's carrying a heifer calf. We're not really sure if that's a, a sex effect as such, or that bull calves on average are bigger, 
and maybe they squash a little bit more inside the pelvis and, and can slightly interfere with blood circulation. And or maybe that bull calves obviously have typically uh, inside uh, bun in the oven kind of thing uh, with a slightly longer gestation length than a heifer. So range of factors, not a big one. And of course, unless you're working towards sex semen, there's not much we can do about bull calves at the moment because uh, even sex semen, you're going to get a few. Seems that heifer and cow body condition score is a risk factor for utter edema because the over-conditioned girls, both heifers and mixed-age cows, appear to be at greater risk uh, of utter edema. Now, in terms of why that's so, we're not entirely sure uh, whether it's just so much fat tissue um, in the pelvis, uh, you know, just in internal fat tissue as well, or whether it's more of an indirect uh, risk factor because our fatties, of course, are at greater risk of metabolic disease for heifers, particularly for ketosis. And it seems that perhaps ketosis uh, can increase risk of utter edema. So hold that thought. Uh, we'll come back to that shortly. So look, that's the range of non-nutritional risk factors for utter edema. And as we say, there's no one factor that increases risk and there's multiple things in play. But look, uh, we'll get this episode back on track because we are supposed to be all about nutrition. Now, what sort of things, from a nutritional point of view, increase risk of utter edema? So dry matter intake, well, clearly that's driven both by how much feed we put in front of the cow, but also, importantly, the appetite of the cow. As we get closer to calving, our cows in the springer mob, their appetite will start to drop away. So as they're getting closer to calving, they're less likely to eat to appetite as perhaps they would have done um, out in the, the far-off dry cow paddock. This drop in appetite isn't so much that the calf is squashing the rumen and minimising intake. I, I think, you know, quite a few people I talk to think that it's about um, the calf, you know, a big 45 kilo calf's mashing the rumen. It's not so much about that. It's actually driven by the hormones. And there's a heap of different hormonal changes happening. A heap of hormones mess with the appetite. We've got all sorts of things, lots of moving parts. We're getting increasing levels of uh, growth hormone. We're getting lower levels of insulin and we're getting insulin resistance happening uh, in terms of the tissues are no longer uh, responsive to the effects of insulin. Another story another day. And as well as that, the old pregnancy hormones, you know, estrogen and progesterone, they're all going haywire as well as these girls are starting to think about calving. So it's no wonder all those hormones coursing through the blood, no wonder the cow just doesn't feel like eating a whole lot, especially in that last 24 hours pre-calving. Now the trouble with your cows eating less feed as calving approaches is that the irony is they're eating a little less just at the same time as uh, we're doing final maturation of the calf on board inside mum. And as well as that, uh, the udder obviously is just doing the final touches on getting all the secretory tissue to the start line and ready to go, and just the final uh, secretion of that very nutrient-dense colostrum, uh, that lovely gold colostrum at that first uh, milking, which is very nutrient-dense. If she's not really feeling like eating at the same time as all the nutrients are going to the calf and to the udder, is that what your girls will potentially start to do, depending on the degree of reduced appetite, is they'll start to mobilise quite a bit of fat off their backs. And I guess that's what the fat on the backs is for, is to provide a nutrient bank, if you like, some energy um, to, to pull out as required when she's not eating enough to meet the demands of the udder and the calf. And as well as that, uh, the cow's doing other things like there's a source of stuff called glycogen in, in the liver and they'll mobilise that as well. So 
Fat mobilising and the glycogen means that the liver starts to become a really busy, busy, busy place right before calving. And if there's a bit of back fat starting to come off the back of the cow and from internal fat reserves, sometimes the poor old liver, I won't bore you on the the biochemistry, but the liver sometimes can't uh, metabolise that mobilised fat quick enough and you get a little bit of uh, fatty liver. Not a huge problem in New Zealand, but possibly with better cow condition than 20 years ago. We, we get a little bit more than we did, say, in the 1990s when cows used to calve down quite a bit lighter. Yeah, some heavier cows around nowadays, um, as well as uh, more heavily conditioned heifers and, of course, our old friends, the fat carryover cows. Sometimes these fat cows, um, their liver does get clogged up with a little bit of uh, fat that can reduce the liver's ability to do some other things around calving, such as making blood protein. And we're thinking about blood albumin. And certainly in overseas studies, uh, the levels of blood albumin can be quite low in cows immediately before calving. And again, another long, boring story, but blood albumin is important for keeping fluid where it belongs inside the blood vessels. So if we get low blood albumin because the liver's not doing what it should be doing, we get more risk of the of the fluid leaving the blood vessels and going to where it doesn't belong, which is um, in and around the udder uh, and therefore udder causing udder edema. The sad part about this is when uh, we've got udder edema and the poor old heifer or cow's really feeling a bit sort of tight and stretched and miserable, that obviously will reduce her desire to go and forage for food and, and eat enough further, and that can become a bit of a cycle, really. She's got udder edema, so she doesn't graze as well. So long story short, what obviously this means is that our fatties, uh, the heavier body-conditioned cows and heifers, uh, may be at greater risk of edema than more appropriately conditioned heifers. So obviously our heifers, we want them at a good New Zealand score, 5.5 at calving and not too many being too fat. So it's all the more reason that we just continue to, you know, do the old monitoring and managing heifer body condition score before calving, you know, further back in the dry period, to be fair, uh, just to minimise that risk of that liver getting clogged up and not working so well. And as well as that, obviously our overfat heifers are at greater risk of ketosis, uh, which in turn can increase risk of mastitis. So there's a whole raft of reasons why we want to keep those overfats from getting too fat, of which utter edema is just one thing. So the next nutritional thing that's been strongly linked with risk of utter edema is the feeding of salt to springer cows. Now salt, if you remember back to school days, salt's sodium chloride. And if we feed that to springers, that will increase risk of utter edema. So if you are needing to feed salt to your cows, let's say, for example, you're chucking salt in with your maize or using it for other reasons, please do remove the salt from the diet of the springer cows. So like I say, there's heaps of evidence yeah, that salt springers increase risk of utter edema. No need uh, to put it in. And that utter edema risk with salt is especially true for heifers. It seems to particularly make it worse for heifers uh, for all the other reasons that heifers are at risk of utter edema, like we've said. Look, once everyone's calved, like you've, you've got your heifers or your older cows across into the colostrum, then the milkers go for it, get back into salt. We're only talking about keeping salt out of the springer diet. This also applies equally for sodium bicarbonate. If you're putting sodium bicarbonate in the springer mix, take that out and keep it out until those cows are calved and you can put it in them with the colostrum and uh, milker mix. I guess it's tricky with salt sometimes, particularly those of you uh, who are farming right on the coast. 
uh, of New Zealand. We've got a hell of a long uh, coastline here relative to land mass, and a lot of farms will be quite close to the coast, and you're likely to get a lot of salt spray across your pastures uh, if your prevailing wind uh, brings salt spray off the sea. So it's obviously harder to manage that salt intake. Uh, what you could do would be to feed test your springer paddocks. Hopefully you're doing it anyway, but uh, checking the levels of minerals in your springer paddocks so you can sort out risk of low magnesium and uh, work out the decad, dietary cationic, anionic difference and all those other things. But specifically with regard to utter edema and sodium, at least then you'd know how high is high uh, on the sodium or salt levels on your springer pastures. If you do have those pastures, probably the best thing to do would be to talk to your vet or qualified nutritionist about some other ideas if you are getting a lot of utter edema because you're farming on the coast. Now just as sodium or salt or sodium bicarb in the springer diet uh, increases risk of utter edema, so does surplus of another what we call a cation called potassium, or K, whatever you want to call it. If we have a lot of potassium or K in the diet of springers, you will have a greater risk of utter edema, but also other cases of metabolic disease such as low magnesium hypermagnesemia uh, that we've talked about previously in our magnesium podcast and also milk fever. So yeah, the, the triple whammy, I guess, is that we do have greater risk of utter edema with lots of potassium. In terms of what do we do about this, I, I would sincerely hope that no one listening in today would ever dream of calving cows on effluent paddocks, but of course that's the number one risk factor with effluent being a, a high source of nitrogen and potassium, but also phosphorus, but it's the potassium part that we're worried about here with our edema. As well as that, obviously ryegrass will naturally accumulate as much potassium as it can if the potassium's there. And for some of you, you may be farming on a farm that historically uh, has had a lot of potassium applied from an agronomic point of view, supporting uh, you know legume growth and whatnot. Or in fact, you might be one of the, the age-old um, whey farms where whey's been sprayed onto your paddocks and those paddocks will be high in potassium. So you may be naturally stuck with high levels of potassium in your pastures and you can't do a lot about it. You're not going to know unless you feed test, so do do that. And if you have got high levels of potassium, you know, um, to be honest, what we classify as high for risk of utter edema is anything greater than 1.4% potassium. And you'll roll your eyes and go, yeah, all of our paddocks are higher than that. And I'd say pretty well all ryegrass paddocks in New Zealand are higher than 1.4% potassium. So it's a bit of a mission to uh, to get that potassium level down. So if you are having ongoing uh, edema problems in your heifers and you have got a lot of pecay in your paddocks, you might want to talk to your vet or nutritionist about alternate feeding strategies pre-calving uh, to dilute down the intake of high K ryegrass in the diet. So that might be based on uh, something like maize silage, but we'll come back to that point, so hold that thought. As well as that, there's evidence from overseas that feeding high rates of cereal grain to springer cows and uh, rising to heifers will increase the risk of utter edema. But look, when those studies say high levels, they're talking about like four kilos of cereal grain per head per day to springers. And certainly for us here in New Zealand, that is a very high level of grain feeding uh, those of you who are feeding grain 
to heifers and to cows pre-calving, I would suspect we're talking about no more than sort of half to one kilo, and it's less likely that those sorts of rates to spring as well increase risk of utter edema. Uh, you know, it's doing good things. It's getting the rumen set up to digest grain. It's good to be running through the shed for teat spraying and, and checking quarters and that. So carry on. The overseas works says cereal grains are not good, but we're talking about more than four kilos, which won't fit um, the criteria for most of us here in New Zealand. Now, magnesium, interestingly, those of you who have suffered the magnesium podcast already will will hopefully uh, know a thing or two about magnesium now, but it's important to keep levels of magnesium up to heifers as they're springing, because apparently low levels of magnesium can slightly increase risk of utter edema. Low magnesium won't cause it, but will contribute to increased risk of utter edema. Some of you may not give magnesium to springers if you're calving springers in a separate mob from your older cows. And I think the rationale that a lot of you will say, and I do understand that rationale, is that, well, heifers don't go down with milk fever, so we won't worry with the magnesium. And and I understand that, particularly when you're looking to reduce costs. But if you are battling with a utter edema issue and you're not giving magnesium to uh, your springing heifers, it's something you might want to have a think about. It's interesting, and those of you that did listen to the Magnesium podcast, we mentioned a condition called leather bag, and that's not just in heifers but older cows. And it was more of an issue sort of prior to the early 1990s when we weren't as proactive in giving magnesium to cows as possibly what we are nowadays. Leather bag is likely to be a different form of utter edema, but it's a chronic form of utter edema and does appear to form part of a chronically low magnesium syndrome along with anemia and other factors related to just the chronic underfeeding of magnesium. So that's the magnesium situation with regard to utter edema. There's obviously other little bits and pieces in the diet that may slightly increase risk of utter edema. And we're talking about predominantly some of the trace minerals and potentially vitamins that may play a role in reducing risk of utter edema. Deficiencies won't cause it, but may increase the extent of utter edema experienced uh, by your heifers or mixed-age cows. So what we think is happening with some of these vitamins and trace minerals is that it's important for heifers to have a, and mixed-age cows to have a very robust, a very active and uh, healthy immune system before, through and after calving. It seems that a compromised immune system may increase risk of utter edema through greater problems of what we call free radicals flowing around and causing problems and whether that contributes to the leakiness of blood vessels and allowing more fluid to enter the udder. I'm not entirely sure how it works. Long story short, it's a given that you want to promote a good immune system in your cows and heifers pre-calving. So we're thinking about the key trace minerals which are involved in the immune response, which of course is copper here in New Zealand, particularly selenium, and of course zinc, possibly manganese as well as the main ones that we need to look after, although we don't see a lot of manganese deficiency here in New Zealand. On the vitamin side of it, there's some quite good work from overseas that reckons that vitamin E status is also needing to be good to reduce risk of utter edema and heifers particularly. And of course, never mind all the benefits of vitamin E and a a really strong immune system for fighting metritis and mastitis and those sorts of things. Here in New Zealand, most of our spring is carved down on at least some grass, if not larger amounts of of, uh, autumn or winter safe grass or pasture. 
Typically, leafy green pasture contains a whole heap of vitamin E. And, you know, there's less evidence here that we need to supplement with vitamin E. But look, what I'd suggest you do, particularly if you're feeding more conserved feeds, you could always discuss, you know, this topic of uh, vitamin E requirements and those other antioxidants in the diet of your cows further uh, with your vet or qualified nutritionist. Uh, it's hard to give any broad brush recommendations here. Right, we're going to be wrapping the session up now about utter edema and just finishing up uh, with a brief overview and then some of the things that we need as take-homes if you are grappling with a utter edema problem at the moment. First up, this podcast is never designed to replace the recommendations of your own vet. If you are dealing with a high incidence of utter edema in your heifers, please do go and talk to your vet first and foremost. Whilst utter edema may not necessarily be as uncomfortable for the cow as an acute case of mastitis, it still makes them uh, very uncomfortable. They don't like to lie down, so clearly they do have some well-being issues at stake here. So do talk to your vet, and your vet will recommend and probably provide you with treatments, which we won't go into here, uh, both in terms of reducing the fluid from those tissues and symptomatic support for pain and inflammation as well. So please do talk to your vet, and we're not going to talk about the specific treatments of utter edema here. As far as what can you do on farm, there is, you know, again, international suggestions that, that gentle massaging, you know, 15 minutes of massaging of the affected areas can improve cases of utter edema, mainly by trying to get the fluid moving uh, and back into the bloodstream. But clearly in our seasonal calving situations, there is a trade-off here between available time for you to do that and some of the benefits of that massaging. And as well as that, because it's our heifers that are affected, chances are unless they've walked through the shed a lot, you know, um, well before pre-calving, she's probably not going to be that enthused to stand quietly and, and graciously accept that massaging. But yeah, just an awareness if you do have some time and it's only one or two cows or it's a heifer out of your favourite cow that you want to reduce risk of any other attachment issues later in life and stuff, by, by all means go for the massaging. Another thing, pre-calving um, milking could be something to think about. If you can, you may choose to drop a heifer of that nature into your colostrums and actually ease that milk off. As well as that in the colostrums, you'll be able to keep an eye on her for mastitis and um, the only thing is, is just to remember that she's got a calf still inside her uh, so that you keep an eye on her in the colostrum mob. Um, and, and remember that as part of your, your springer mob checks. And finally, prevention of utter edema. You've probably already sorted out in your own mind if there's anything within your current system that you could change. Uh, for example, dropping salt out of the springer diet. But look, just to roll through from a nutritional point of view, we'll sum up and then finish up on what we need to consider for our springing uh, cows and springing heifers. First up... We need to avoid those high potassium pastures and also supplementary feeds that also contain potassium such as uh, lucerne baleage and lucerne hay quite often can contain a lot of potassium and you might need to avoid those for springers or simply baleage or silage that's been made on a runoff where there's been a lot of potassium going in to support you know, returning nutrients where you're always cutting hay or silage off a, off a runoff. Feed testing and checking minerals in your pastures and supplementary feeds is a really important strategy so that you may not be able to avoid high potassium levels completely, but you may be able to rank uh, two or three different lines of baleage from high to low potassium and go for the lesser levels of potassium in one line of baleage. As well as that, of course, we can also check sodium levels in feed because potassium and sodium collectively are the bad guys that increase risk of metabolic disease. 
We mentioned, of course, there's no way you'd be on those effluent paddocks, will you? No, you won't. Um, sure, sincerely, that you're not carving on effluent paddocks, but that will increase risk of utter edema. And, of course, the double bonus of getting rid of uh, potassium out of the diet in any way you can and avoiding effluent paddocks is not only reducing risk of utter edema, but also reducing the risk of milk fever and low blood magnesium problems as well, as we've already covered in the magnesium podcast. So unfortunately, to really get the benefit of reducing potassium in the springer diet, to try and target potassium levels in the springer diet of less than 1.4% of dry matter as potassium. And for us here in New Zealand and probably Tassie and um, parts of Victoria, unfortunately most of our ryegrass-dominant pastures will easily contain more than 1.4% of potassium. So we're likely to, I mean, some of the highest levels of potassium on ryegrass have been as high as like 5.5% potassium. So it's difficult to get down to that magic 1.4% of dry matter as potassium. But what we can do, as with testing lines of baleage or silage, is that if you target two or three or four candidate paddocks that you're planning to carve down on, feed test all four and ranking them and then selecting the ones with the lowest levels of potassium, which will probably also have low levels of DCAD. Um, but you're unlikely to get ryegrass paddocks down to levels of less than 1.4. Could be proven wrong, but it's unusual to find them that low. We started to talk before about uh, ways to other ways to get uh, levels of potassium down in the diet, and that would be feeding low-potassium supplementary feeds. Uh, and the key one that comes to mind, of course, is maize silage. That's corn silage, for those of international listeners, of, of whom we have quite a few now. Look, that said... We do need to be careful feeding very high rates of maize silage to springing cows because we don't want to fix the issue of high potassium on one hand, but on the other hand we create problems of other nutrients such as low dietary protein for springing heifers particularly because springing heifers need more protein than springing mixed-age cows. And as well, high rates of maize, we may have unintended consequences of um, ending up with, with much lower levels of magnesium and calcium in the diet, for example. That said, feeding higher rates of maize can be done successfully pre-carving, so I'm not putting you off that. But what I would suggest is that you do talk with a qualified nutritionist who will help you get that diet balanced so that you can use the advantages of low potassium in maize but still get the rest of the diet balanced up nicely for you. So it's not impossible. Second point, be very careful with feeding high rates of very lush, leafy ryegrass-dominant pastures to springers. As we've already said, those types of pastures tend to deliver a heap of potassium and potassium is found mainly in the lovely dark green parts of the ryegrass leaf not so much in the pseudo stem, you know, that rolled up stem at the base of the plant, but predominantly in the green leaf, there is still quite a bit in the pseudo stem. So potassium's the baddie, as we've said. As well, that lush, leafy ryegrass contains typically a lot of protein, of which a lot of it's rumen degradable, and that will mess up with your magnesium metabolism, uh, increasing risk of, you know, the, the low, low levels of magnesium that is a risk factor for utter edema and obviously increased risk of metabolic disease. As well, those very lush, leafy springer paddocks uh, do, do, with all that protein on board, increase risk of cows and heifers springing quite a lot pre-calving, so starting to make a lot of milk, leaking milk. And if you've already got utter edema and a very, very tight little udder, that's obviously going to increase problems with that utter edema because there's so much milk being produced by all of that high-quality protein. Third point, 
remembering the important take-home, which is no salt and no sodium bicarb to springers. Look, your cows and your springing heifers, they're not going to get into any trouble with sodium deficiency just for that two to three weeks that they're in the springer paddock. So knock it off for that two to three weeks pre-calving. And of course, once they shift across into the colostrum, then the milkers, you can kick straight back into the sodium supplementation then. So we're talking about keeping salt or sodium bicarb out to springers. Everyone else can have that. That's no problems at all. We've touched on the issue around magnesium to heifers, and if you're not supplementing heifers with magnesium, that's fine. If he's got no, you've got no problems. But if you are getting a bit of utter edema, magnesium and other approaches to anionic salts too sometimes uh, are highly advantageous for springing heifers. Summing up as well, we talked about trace mineral and vitamin nutrition. Remembering that's the emphasis on those antioxidant trace micronutrients, particularly, remember, copper, selenium and zinc, manganese, and, of course, um, the vitamin E conversation that we had that you can talk more to your vital nutritionist about. Right, that's a wrap. That's been a very specific topic for this particular podcast about utter edema. So pretty deep dive into that one topic, but for many of us here in New Zealand, but also for those of you over the ditch, uh, Victoria and Tassie particularly, uh, we've recorded this podcast in July and within our seasonal calving systems, calving is already underway or about to get underway. So we thought we'd do something from a seasonality point of view that's very topical. But look, thanks very much for taking time out from your day or managing to multitask or simply chugging down that coffee or beer. Really appreciate you joining us here today. And on behalf of myself, I'm Charlotte Westwood, and of course our sponsors, PGG Rights and Seeds, we'd just like to say thanks very much for listening in today. We do hope that even if this has been just a little bit of help uh, with ideas of reducing risk for utter edemas and your heifers especially, hopefully there's been something there for you. So for more information about all the things to do with ruminant nutrition and in the case of sometimes animal health, in the case of lots of utter edema, do head over to Facebook. Uh, may not be a thing, Facebook, but join up, search up the Rumin Room Facebook group and do join in our ruminant nutrition community. Uh, a lot of good information and ideas being shared by many of our members. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you have a fantastic day. Cheers. Cheers.